And welcome to Be Dead Source. I'm Nathan, your most giving you context about what you're about to hear host. So some stuff has been happening, and we recorded this episode way back in mid-May, as I'm sure will become incredibly obvious to you soon. I've written and recorded this before going back and listening and editing to what we've said, but I think I'm fairly safe in saying that what you're about to listen to is at best going to be incredibly naive, if not completely dismissive, of protests in general. There's a difference between the BLM protests and the protests we saw here. There's a difference in the violence and the respect shown to fully armed white men screaming in the face of police and being given a pass, and peaceful protesters being beaten for peacefully expressing their rights as citizens. There's also a difference in the way protests were done. I'll make sure to include some photos in the protests, but with these protests, you're looking to see if you can find someone wearing a mask. During BLM protests, you're looking to see if you can find someone not wearing a mask. The whole thing is absurd, and we thought about not releasing this episode, but I want to release it for two reasons. One, I think it's an interesting time capsule into how we were feeling at this point. Our state of Ohio, for example, had shut down and was just opening back up. Two, I just really, really liked the name I came up with. It was really good, and I would have cried if I wasn't able to use it. Anyway, we love you, stay safe, and here it is. The Idiots Doth Protest Too Much, Methinks. A time-traveling episode about the stay-at-home protests. Let's get back to the show. Welcome to Be The Dead Source, your home for fighting for your right to party. My <laughs> name is Nathan, your beastiest host. <laughs> My name is Andy, your most Lockean host. And I'm Pat, your tyrannical host. Well, welcome to another week, another uh, another set of episodes. So this week, actually, I actually saw some protesters that were out on like a main road by a mall... And uh, they had their signs and stuff. Some of them were wearing masks. Some of them weren't. Uh, one person had, like, a welder's mask on. And they had their signs and, uh, you know, like, <laughs> signs about, um, you know, no more virtual school that kids need to go back to, like, physical school and stuff. And, um, you know, honk if you agree with, like, the protesters and stuff. So I found that really interesting. I couldn't stop to, like, get a picture or an interview. But... Uh, I drove by them. Mm. Well, I like that that's where your head was at. Well, Caitlin's been, her restaurant reopened, and it has been, and and this has been true just everywhere, apparently. Um, it is, it's elbow to elbow. Absolutely zero respect for any sort of personal, like, worse than they were before <laughs> the start of That seems of unfortunate. <laughs> so, what's, I mean, is she going to stick with it? Like, what? what's her plan? Yeah, she's, I mean, she's there right now. Yeah, if you're offered work and you turn it down, you can't get unemployment. That's that's god-awful, and we should talk about it in a minute, but hey, hey how, how's your week been, everybody? Good, I mean, uh, from the week I saw some protesters. <laughs> it's been kind of an uneventful week, I guess, other than that. I've just been increasingly frustrated with with people's... Boisterous dismissal of any sort of concern, and like, you know, I I guess 
even if you aren't concerned about it, please understand that you're in a world full of people who are, and maybe try to help put, make them a little bit more comfortable. It's just a little common <laughs> courtesy, I guess. But apparently that is not... Uh, you can't force an American to be courteous. They're they're working me to death. Um, like I've had, uh, like my my knees have started to hurt, and um, like I had some back pain the other day. Um, just like the overwhelming amount that they are working me has been, uh, like I feel like an old man. <laughs> man, sorry, dude. Well. Uh, I guess we're doing a coronavirus opening here, um, which is fine and good. Uh, did you ever get any bonus pay for like working during this um, time? So I am getting I'm getting a little bit of bonus pay for doing approximately times and a half work that I've been doing, and it's not quite times and a half pay, but it is a nice little bonus and my pay isn't really based it's not really based on the hours and it's not necessarily like directly linked to the amount that i'm working so it is nice to be acknowledged that like yeah we realize you're doing extra stuff so here's bonus pay but i kind of had to fight for that too also the latest congress relief bill includes hazard pay yeah, they'll workers. never get through anything. Um, I mean, I haven't I gotten... Mean, the Republicans won't let it happen. Trump has already said he's going to veto it. I haven't gotten specifically hazard pay. When you say you had to fight for it, what do you mean? Like, you as an individual or like... Yeah, because I'm smart. I'm part of a, a small company. Um, so the, the big corporation uh, hires a bunch of contractors... And I work for one of the small contractors. It's like a it's like a twenty person company, and uh, interesting. So so we're not actually part of the larger corporate entity. There's a couple of reasons for that, but I think chief among them is liability. So if there was like some kind of horrible accident or something, um, the liability would yeah, only if your company got sued into the ground. It wouldn't affect the, the the major whatever the it wouldn't affect the is. major corporation. Yeah, um, but I, that's not the only reason. But I think that's one of the big ones. Interesting. Well, I had uh, these headphones. I had delivered to my. Uh, I'm using a new pair of headphones. For those of you at home, know you're very excited about it. <laughs> I had them delivered to me this week um, through a major delivery company, and they said they'd be here on Wednesday. And then they weren't here on Wednesday, and they said they'd be here on Thursday, and they weren't here on Thursday. And they got to me on Friday, and I had zero problem with that, because I know you guys are overworked like crazy. It just would be nice. <laughs> like, what I would prefer is for them to have said Friday at the at the outset, and then, like, if I accidentally got them on Wednesday, that would have been amazing. Right, so there's a big thing about, like, managing customers' expectations, and uh, right. companies that do that better tend to do better. <laughs> yeah, because no one's going to hate if their stuff shows up two days early. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? I I mean, I don't know. Like, I've spent a lot of time on the couch this week. It's starting to get warm again. I like that. Yeah, it's been beautiful. Uh, other than the days that it was, like, pouring rain. There was some kind of tropical storm that this was, like, the leftovers of, I think. Fun. 
Mm. Um, yeah, we we discovered a new park walking distance from my house, which isn't a kind of thing that you would generally just sort of discover. Um, but we were out in a, a walk in a neighborhood sort of north of mine, and we normally walk south. And I want to say two or three years ago, they put in a new Walmart in this area. And I'd heard when they were putting it in that they were going to be building a park as part of their agreement because um, people generally don't want Walmarts to come into their area. And so they were like, we'll build you a park too. And then the Walmart was there and n- no park. We like we, we looked next to it. We couldn't find it or anything like that. So fine, whatever. I'm gonna, not going to shop at Walmart anyway. Is so that from whatever. the old golf course that Turns got out, demolished? That is different. Okay. Um, there's a, a we love to take walks over there, but everybody likes to take walks over there, which makes it problematic right now. Because anytime there's a nice day and we want to go out and take a walk, so does everybody else. And uh, the place you're talking about is called Acacia, and it is impossible to walk over there and social distance during this oh, really? time. So we've been trying to find other like less popular parks, and that's one of the reasons why this has been so exciting, is because. Apparently, Walmart built the park, and they built it behind uh, behind their uh, building. And there's a little tiny entrance on the street that we were walking along uh, in this neighborhood. So we just found it by accident. Wow. That's pretty cool. So Nice. And uh, baby, uh, baby goslings and baby ducklings we're both like walking across the like concrete path while we're walking around like is pretty amazing. I hate Canadian geese. I think they're like the scourge right. of existence. No, they are terrorists. They really are. They're terrorists. <laughs> they are I a part say- of an organization. They are affiliated with uh ISIS and ISIL. Uh <laughs> I (laughs) Canadian geese are the worst kinds of people. If the Canadian stereotype (laughs) held true, they'd just be saying please and thank you. Right? No, but they're not. That's see, the Canadians have channeled all of their aggression into the geese. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I think they're they're akin to Canadian hockey players. (laughs) So, but it was nice. But they definitely like these goslings were like right across the path. And we very slowly, like, made our way through them. I got hissed at by a few Canadian geese. Um, yeah. yeah, they're assholes. But ultimately, yeah, ultimately let me... Well, I was very close to their children. I understand why they were upset. You, you can also, but, like, make a bunch uh, of noise is, and get them out of your way. Right. Uh, my thing was, if they didn't want me to interrupt them, then go be on the grass somewhere. Hmm. The concrete... Is humans. You get you get the grass. I'm not gonna come dive into your pond. You don't want to walk on my concrete. <laughs> Go all right, yeah. Well, so we had something specific so, we wanted to talk about this week. Right. I think one of you should introduce it because I don't think I could do it and be gracious in any way towards this. So across the US, um, there have been protests about the various like stay-at-home orders and quarantines and things that have been uh, issued uh, by governments and a certain subset of the population considers that to be 
uh, tyrannical or unconstitutional, or for some reason, you know, they feel the need to protest against this. Like the the government doesn't have any business telling them what businesses can and can't be open. The government doesn't have any business. Um, you know, telling people they have to stay home, that it's a violation of their constitutional rights to do whatever the f*** that they want. It, that's pretty pretty much the argument. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's incorrect. So it's this is a very multifaceted and very complex kind of issue, and I think I think to be dismissive of it is irresponsible (laughs) call me mr irresponsible i guess so here's the thing there's we've been this economy has been over the last three years has been in a weird sort of way where stock values were increasing and unemployment was actually really really hanging low um, and so a lot of the typical ways that you measure the, the quality of a, of an economy looked really, really good. Stock prices. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. But it was, yeah, but a lot of that. So first of all, the unemployment being low doesn't re- really mean as it means that people have a job, but it doesn't, there's a couple reasons why that can happen. And we can talk more about that, but like. I think ultimately, like, right now, in just a few months, so many people have realized in, in, in very much a hard way how not well off things were. were. And yeah. there's a lot of very legitimate fear that if this continues, if they, are, if they are not allowed to go and work their jobs and make the money that they were making or run their business and make the money... Um, that they are going to end up out of house and and out of, I mean, all of their savings would be depleted. All of their, uh, the, everything they've worked for, um, they might have to sell their car, they might have to sell their home just in order to um, to feed themselves. If you know, depending on how you know, we're ta- people are talking about this is going to take still another year. Um, of course, yeah. Trump is out there just saying whatever he wants. But um, but realistic economists are saying a year if everything goes right, everything goes right of mm-hmm. the in terms of being able to actually mass pro- start mass producing a vaccine, and even so, that's to start producing it. We've got to get it to three hundred some million people. So ultimately, well, like for this co- for this country, I mean, this is yeah, going to need to be right. That's worldwide, though. Yeah. And so um, I don't think it is unfair to be in morbid fear of, you know, look look at how bad this has been in just two or three months. How bad is this going to be over the course of a year, year and a half, two years? I think... um, I think it's perfectly reasonable for anyone to be really scared of that and want to be able to try to go back to work and make whatever money they can right now. So I, I want to unpack that into a couple of little segments. So first of all, you're saying that uh, you know before the coronavirus and before the quarantines or anything, the stay-at-home orders, um, that 
we had record low unemployment, but the quality of jobs that people had and the amount that they were getting paid was really stagnant and reflected, you know, wages hadn't really increased for several decades, that people were still working right. pretty much the same wage that they were making like 20 years before um, or less mm-hmm. and and receiving less benefits for them. I think that that's relevant. I think it's also relevant. Um, you mentioned that like a lot of people didn't have a lot of savings going into this. And so now we're seeing that as a factor, like people are now starting to run out of whatever savings they had, if they had any in the, in the first place. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, now it's really like, you know, the rent is due and what, what am I going to do about it? Yeah. And so, um, so ultimately, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the question isn't whether the 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 economy should start to open back up. The question is how the economy should open back up, and and that's something I'll save for later on in this discussion because I I, I know we want to we want to get into other aspects of of what's going on. Um, a big one is a, a bit a big objection to the lockdowns that I know. Um, Pat has some thoughts on is the the infringement on civil liberties and the kind of authoritarian hand of the government. Mm-hmm. And and not to say that you sympathize necessarily with those protesters, but um, I know personal liberties is is a big thing for you, Pat. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the nice things about a lot of these like stay at home orders and stuff is that it's being done in like sort of a soft enforcement way like the governor is asking you to do this um in the case of businesses a lot of it is mandated but um you know they're not pulling people over at checkpoints and asking like are you an essential worker that they're not really like arresting people who are um violating these stay-at-home orders i think that as a public safety response that informing the public about these policies and saying like you know it's going to be better for everybody if we just stay like sheltered in place we're not going to come arrest you or anything but this is how you know we would like this to be done that seems like kind of the best way of governing this sort of uh situation is for me um and i'm i'm glad that we're not you know cracking down and like kicking in doors uh, enforcing stay-at-home orders. Um, also, you know, I mean, it's it, it really is a public safety issue. Uh, a lot of these state constitutions do have a clause where, um, you know, the government can take action when it's in the interest of the public health. And I think that this certainly falls under it. So I think in a lot of ways what they're doing is pretty well justified. Uh, Yeah. Well, so I just wanted to kind of react to what you were saying that the, the, I think what you were describing is, is what we mostly have experienced here in Ohio. Right. Um, Not every state can say the same. 
in fact, there have been a few instances, I believe California, I believe Pennsylvania, uh, and somewhere else I can't think of, um, where people have been arrested or um, or fined and sent home for uh uh, opening a business that they shouldn't be, or right, um, doing. I mean, that's stuff. different, though. So that's different from a stay-at-home. Well, so I, I think just well, I think this, that's the important contrast is it, you know one is a stay-at-home order, where if you violate it, there will be um, repercussions of some kind, whether it's a fine or or even imprisonment. Uh, the other is. You know, like what we're what we have in Ohio, a stay at home suggestion, I guess. Um, it's yeah. you know, it's like listen, be responsible, be an adult, or well, so that we don't have to force you to. So, um, I've been pretty quiet so far, and uh, my main problem is I don't trust my fellow Americans, and I think I have good reason not to trust them. Uh, you can ask people to do the right thing, but clearly they're not going to. I keep on thinking about um, the greatest generation. These this these times in our past where we need to make great sacrifices to be able to sort of fulfill the greater good on behalf of our country. And people aren't willing to f- stay home and sit on the couch and eat snacks and watch Netflix. Um... There's a bunch of different issues here. For example, I think it's totally reasonable to be worried about your family being able to feed and house itself and making sure that's taken care of. But the problem is American companies have been able to raid the pantry for decades. They've been underpaying workers. This is the reason why nobody has these savings that they'd need to be able to get through a time like this. They've been banking these huge, huge profit margins and not giving back to their employees. This is this is the other end of that uh, seesaw. So they've been able to do this for a while. And now it's their turn to go ahead and turn around and take care of their employees. But they haven't done that. What they've done is they fired. Last I saw, we're getting on to 40 million people on the unemployment ranks. Uh, it's really rough. And so... These companies have been able to uh, create these giant profit margins for a ton of time. And as soon as it turns into a time where they should go ahead and take those profit margins and take care of the people who had been taking care of them, silence. Nothing fired. Go figure it out yourself. As soon as Democrats, uh, and I guess we haven't seen it be torn down yet, but this newest $3 trillion uh, effort that uh, the Congress has put forward or reaches the Senate, it's going to be voted down. And that would be something that would allow people to stay in their homes, that would allow people to uh, have rent delayed and have uh, their mortgages delayed. So that way they could do the right thing. What we're deciding now as a country is that money is more important than lives. That is, that is the decision that we're making right now. And the problem is, a friend of mine on Facebook, I kept on trying to argue about this stuff, about how these people are assholes. They need to stay home because them going out and doing these protests, them going out and being shoulder-to-shoulder at restaurants negates all the work that everybody has done staying at home so far. And what he said was, idiots are going to be idiots no matter how long you wait. 
So what's the point in if people are going to be idiots later, why not open up sooner? You know, what's the point in waiting to open up if everybody's going to go out and spread the disease like wildfire anyway? So I've heard- what we're deciding is what we're deciding is we want a healthy economy in exchange for three to seven percent of the people who contract this this disease dying. So that's where we're at right now. So I, I have to respond first to your your saying that you're you're choosing lives over money because that is painfully reductive um, and doesn't allow for any subtlety or nuance, which there is in abundance in this scenario. So I got to pick reductive I, it, and accurate. No, reductive. Just that. What, one. what is that? What uh, does that mean? So, Can you help me out? Yeah, reductive meaning uh, he's oversimplifying the issue in order to make his point look like the only rational one. Okay, gotcha. It's a common tactic used by both sides of the aisle. I'm not picking on anybody in that regard, but but listen, okay. So it's reductive in two ways. Here, um, First of all, it's not a binary choice of lives or money that is not the it, situation that is not it is no it is not it super is it, not in this no it's not um so because you can, you let can me say that i, I will i mean, I'm, sure. would love to explain what why because i can go 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 for it yeah like all right so um if you say choose to continue the lockdown in, in essentially choosing uh, according you know whatever say lives over money i'm using air quotes and saying it in a derogatory voice uh <laughs> anyway it's derogatory the so right word if there? you okay no um belittling uh de- inflammatory <laughs> deflammatory they're all they're all bad words anyway, but go ahead uh, uh, rude how about all right so anyway if you are keeping the economy locked down Depending, I mean, depending on what that means, you're not just choosing lives instead of money because of what happens is you lose a lot of business, you lose a lot of um, a lot of the small and middle sized businesses, which make mm-hmm. up like I think something like seventy percent of American businesses or eighty percent. It's huge. Are, are like all concerns. gone, and while those people can go back to work, they can find. And this is actually something that the um, the chairman of the Fed was saying just a few days ago, uh, Jerome Powell. Um, he was commenting on this, like if it, it, these, in order to preserve these businesses, in order for them to be able to get back up and on their feet, we have to find ways to to help, you know help them be able to continue doing business while being safe. Um, if eventually those, many of those people can go back to work or can find, um, new jobs, but likely their careers are over in in any serious way. And the Mm -hmm. amount of damage that that would do to the economy would wreck lives and cost lives, um, both in terms of, you know, their their ability to make a living and their actual life. Um, anytime there is a huge recession 
like that, it cost people their lives. It happened in 2008, it happened in 2001, it happened in the 70s, it happened in every, t- every time. Right, and, and, so, and what does that look like? We're, that, we're talking about people who, you know, can't afford medication anymore or can't afford, like, yep. um, you know, insulin or something like that or just can't afford uh, the quality of life that they had before. Um how how is As that translating ch- into into deaths like uh, that's you know starvation or medical mal mal uh, inability to get treatment for for medical needs. Right. Um, there's a lot of different ways where people die if the economy crun- crunches that hard. So right to say choose lives over money is if you do if you do that too hard you lose lives anyway fact check fact check fact check and welcome back to fact check sorry andy no one is saying that recessions are good and there's clear evidence that shows that during times of scarcity the people's health is affected negatively but it turns out that as far as the death rate goes recessions are great it seems obvious even to those who study the data, that deaths would increase during a recession, but in fact, the opposite is true. According to the article, How the Next Recession Could Save Lives, in the science journal Nature, during lean times in the U.S.'s history, deaths decrease. Quote, After several years of severe economic stress, the gross death rate has attained the lowest level on record, wrote Edgar Seidenstricker, a social epidemiologist with the U.S. Public Health Service in 1933 when talking about the Great Depression. Why, you ask? Some of it is obvious. With fewer workplace accidents and far fewer traffic deaths, obesity issues are greatly reduced, and smoking and drinking are expensive. But even taking that into consideration doesn't seem to make up for the numbers. So, in short, recessions are good, even though they're super not. I'm going to link the article in the doobly-doo. You should read it. It's real good. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. Um, Secondly, the other way. I'm not suggesting. The other side of it. Keep on going. No, go for it. The other side of it is that if you reopen the economy now and just, you know, throw the doors open and act like this is all behind us, which people are we already talked about that that's um, right and then what happens is you get a big spike in in disease again and we are worse off than we were before we tried to um stop the the spread so yeah you end up losing lives already- as well my point here is you're going to lose lives and money either way the trick is much or the balance is nuanced it's not just do this uh, well, that's silly. It's not. It's not just a, uh, a choose lives, not money. That's not. It the- is. It's. I mean, I I get your point. It's it's well taken. It absolutely is because now I'm not saying that there's not smart ways that we can open up, but I think what I when when I'm going out as businesses start reopening, if I want to go out to a business in whatever way I choose is appropriate. The first thing that I need to see is here are our guidelines on how we're going to keep you safe when you come to our 
when you come to our business. These are how we're going to make sure that you're taken care of. And the problem is businesses, if they're doing that safely, are not going to be able to make enough money to make it worthwhile for them to open in the first place. If they're, It's going to be nearly impossible to stay safe and stay profitable at the same time. I just, I, and I'm not saying that none of them can do it, but what I'm saying is this is why the, like, so capitalism is a system. It's, it's bad. We are seeing why it's bad right now, but the reason why you get to pilfer the coffers all the God time is you've built up money. Now the Uber wealthy have, and they should be using that money to go ahead and help the country to make sure that we get taken care of. Because what we're talking about is we can certainly open back up. We can certainly send people back to their jobs and back to businesses and things like that. And what we're talking about is turning this into a disease that lasts forever. So so let's look specifically at the uh, instance of a bar. I think a lot of the businesses that had been closed and are opening back up now are things like bars and restaurants, like things in like mm-hmm. sort of like entertainment industry. Um, so I've already seen on social media, people, you know, taking pictures of inside bars and people are not really doing social distancing at all. And it it makes, it makes sense because, um, you know, you wouldn't make a lot of money in a bar, um, by saying that, you know, we can only have four customers in the bar at a time. Or, you know, we need to keep a distance of six feet away from each other. Um, but, you know, you are making a trade-off there. And I, I think that that enforces the point that you were trying to make. Yeah. I think this now is the time where it makes sense for us to go into a whole bunch of debt to make sure. Like, I think it makes sense for us to try and beat the disease now and then open up fully when it makes sense to do so right now we still have not hit the peak of this disease we're still getting more cases every single day and we're talking about opening back up every state you've seen open back up is talking about a thousand fifteen hundred two thousand new cases a day i'm it there might be a good way to do it we have not found it and no one who's opening these states back up is interested in trying to find it okay People are going to die needlessly, and I don't think you can have an effective economy right now because me and my family, we're staying the f*** home. And most, I think a lot of people in their families are also staying the f*** home. Whether you open your business or not doesn't mean I'm going to go to it. And the people who do come to your business, you're going to get them infected, and you're going to infect your employees. And what's that going to look like down the line when everybody's infected? Right. Well, I, I, I think there's an attitude of like that this is going to happen regardless, especially since we don't have like, oh, you know, next week the vaccine is going to go to public trials. We right. might be in this for a long haul. And even with social distancing, you know, you're not completely isolated from the rest of the world. To a certain degree, I mean, this is still going on with or without social distancing. I don't think that that makes it okay to ignore it. Um, But you're looking at, 
it could be inevitable that this is going to reach every person in the country, barring, like, a few people that live on an isolated family farm, like, ten miles away from their neighbors. And I think that's a really good point. That's a, a point akin to my friend on Facebook saying, idiots are going to be idiots. You can wait, you can do it now, but no matter when you do it, it's going to be a problem. Also, uh, and I think that's, over, that's a fair argument. An overwhelming majority of these idiots are finding out that, um, you know, they are either going to experience only mild symptoms or no symptoms at all. Um, that's very reckless when you're talking about like, okay, now that could also spread to your your family that could extend to like your your grandma but for their own individual well-being uh, a lot of people don't experience any symptoms or very uh, mild symptoms yeah so um you know i mean to to a certain degree like the people who you know let idiots be idiots i mean they're they're going to find out that what they had theorized about of it not being a big deal for them is going to be individually true. Well, and when you're watching the news now, there's a familiar story that I keep seeing pop up of this person in charge of the stay at home protests in this state dies of coronavirus or this pastor who wanted to get people in the doors of his super church and had gathered 1500 people Turns out that 80 of those people are now infected, and he has died of the coronavirus. You know, like, there there are consequences to these things. And I don't know how you explain that to people in a way that makes sense to them, where they would actually do something about it. So, I, I brought this up in a previous episode, and I don't remember which one, but there's this famous study of, of um, between Americans and French people about, it had to do with making a decision, I believe, to, like, terminate a pregnancy, uh, if it was, un, or, or, or pull the plug on, oh, that's what it was, it was after babies were born, um, they, they, these certain, they had some disease where it was, like, pretty much unlikely that the baby was going to survive, and in France, the doctors would make the decision to to pull the plug, so to speak, to terminate the life of the baby. Um, in America, the the doctors had to get permission or ask the family. The family had to make the decision. And this is there was this wild discrepancy where, like, overwhelmingly, the um, the French people mourned less. They were able to get over it more easily, um, et cetera. Right. Um, then the Americans, the Americans would be, um, would, would become much more susceptible to depression and long lasting effects, um, including even PTSD symptoms. Um, but then they asked the Americans whether they would rather have the doctor made the choice and they not have to do it. And they all almost, I mean, like overwhelmingly said, no, they wanted to make that choice, no matter d- despite the fact that it was so painful and so harmful to them. Uh, and I think that right. that study is kind of telling about the American psyche, and I think we're seeing it in a very in a different light with this. 
I'll tell you what, I was so grateful. My my dad, when he passed away, it's been, I mean, over a decade now. It's been a while. But he had been sick for a while, and we had had a chance to talk about a bunch of stuff. But one of the things we talked about is if he was in the hospital and there was no brain activity, exactly what he wanted. And that was exactly the situation that we ended up in. So... For my family and I, it was less about us making a choice and more about just respecting his wishes. We we knew what he wanted. And I can't tell you the comfort that I still take. Like, that was, he has no idea how much of a gift that conversation was that he gave us. And I am, like, my mom and my sister are way tougher in that sense than I am. I am, like, terrible when it comes to medical emergencies in terms of being supportive and stuff. But, um, I like, I think about that all the time, how I, d- I don't have to worry about whether that's what he would have wanted or not. Cause we know, we know we did the thing that he wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's, there's something to be said. And so like, I think there's a burden with that, that those French doctors take on mm-hmm. the, there's a burden when you have to make the choices, but I guarantee you they have a series of bullet points that they follow a series of rules that if this is this if this number is this if this is this this is when Mm -hmm. we terminate this yeah i i I, i'm certain but i think the effect on the parents is is the more interesting one so it really no it really comes down to like agency like who who um has the agency in decision making and um, in some ways, this is a struggle of agency between, you know, the, the various state governments and the people who, who want to just say, like, well, you know, this terrible thing is happening, but, um, you know, I don't think you have the authority to tell me not to go to church. Or, you know, I don't think you have the authority to tell me not to uh, go visit a bar or something. Um, and in a completely unrelated, um, way, I think we're also seeing, uh, in some small ways that democracy is being challenged by the pandemic. So for example, we had an election in Ohio, uh, that was for the democratic primary that got suspended and eventually can you know, ultimately effectively canceled um, because there was no decision to make by the time the date that the primary was rescheduled to uh, came around. I think in some important ways, there's this real fear that this is an opportunity that governments or, you know, particular parties and governments are going to seize on in order to transition power to themselves. Um, I'm happy that that concern well, is there. There was a state. I, mm-hmm. I think it was New York that the uh, Democratic committee in New York decided to cancel the primary. And I think they may have reversed that decision. But... The reason why the Ohio one was important is Bernie was still in the race when our primary was supposed to happen. And between the time that the uh, delay happened 
And when we uh, actually uh, sent in our ballots to vote, Bernie had already dropped out. So the Democratic process wasn't really like we weren't choosing a nominee anymore. It was going to be Biden at that point. And New York kind of decided, well, because Biden is already going to be it, we don't need to have a primary at all. And there are a lot of Bernie supporters that had a big problem with that. And just like democracy supporters in general. Right. And and that decision to delay that election was made by our Republican governor. Uh, I think that that happens to be more of a coincidence than a real conflict of interest. Um, but it is something to look at, you know, with some some narrow narrowed eyes, I would say, with some suspicion. Um, yeah, but I I would I think it would be stupid to think that DeWine didn't look at that as an opportunity. You you think it would be stupid right. to not look at that at that way? I think there's no way in hell DeWine looked at that situation and didn't think. This could be a chance to significantly influence the Democratic primary. Well, maybe I, I see it more it's, as that was the responsible yeah, decision. I think that was the responsible decision that anyone would have made in that dis- in that position. I'm, but I'm just saying, there's no way that that wasn't a factor for him, right? And we're also going to have we're going to have permanent problems going forward with elections. <laughs> I mean, we've had permanent problems with elections for the last 250 years anyway. Right, so, but spe- specifically know. with a, a pandemic going on. Yeah. Well, and, you know, there's rumors. I don't want to um, claim credible sourced rumors because I don't recall. But You um, mean there's sensationalist you know, media going on? <laughs> I would... Expect nothing less. I think I've seen sort of articles floating around, and I think they're just sort of wild opinion articles right now, but um, that Trump may even try to push to delay the election uh, in order to keep himself, uh, have the election when he has the economy running hotter again. So there was an, uh, an interview that Jared Kushner did where he was specifically asked, if Trump would consider either delaying or canceling the elections in November, and he would not answer the question, he wouldn't. He wouldn't rule it out. That strikes I mean, me as the kind of say. thing like that he could do. Just it's it's just like pushy enough to like trigger liberals. It almost feels like a troll kind of move. Right. Well, and the other thing is the it's not a troll move. The Republicans are trying to block mail-in-only elections everywhere because yeah, Republicans that do... They do terribly in mail-in elections. Um, yeah, there there was this... Um, I think it was Trump made this comment a few weeks ago that um, if more people vote, Republicans will lose. And the funny thing about that is actually the numbers don't actually quite bear that out. It is... yeah. All right, this is going to be something that we're definitely going to need to fact check about. Fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. It's complicated, and frankly, the answer is we don't really know who benefits in these mail-in elections. 
What I will say is if you hear someone say that it benefits one party or another, they're wrong or they're lying because there just isn't national data for it yet. I'll include specifics for each state in the doobly-doo, but 40 states either offer some form of early voting or have passed laws that will soon go into effect. The rest of the country allows some form of mail-in voting, especially California, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, Utah, and Hawaii, who will have all mail-in voting without an in-person option. In 2016, one in four ballots cast were cast by mail, and by the way, there's been zero evidence of widespread voter fraud in this country either by mail or in person. Two facts about that. I know I mentioned this in a previous episode, but on May 11th, 2017, Trump started the Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity. After months of work, that commission shut itself down after not being able to find any evidence of voter fraud. Secondly, the Brennan Center for Justice did a wide-reaching study on U.S. voter fraud and found that it's between 0.00004% and 0.0009%. Now, that isn't nothing, and these cases should be investigated. It isn't, however, a widespread problem. Charles Stewart III, a professor of political science at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, said the evidence so far on which party benefits had been inconclusive, citing numbers from the 2016 North Carolina election showing that Republicans were more likely to vote by mail than Democrats. There's also been evidence that new voters who tend to vote Democratic are also much more likely to have their ballots thrown out because they've been filled out incorrectly. I could keep talking about this, but it's bullshit, so don't listen to anyone who says otherwise. Except maybe Charles Stewart III, if he gets new information. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. Well, so I don't, I don't know how legitimate of a threat that that is, that Trump would try and postpone or cancel an election. But I hope that if something like that were to happen, that people would realize what a big challenge to democracy that that would be. That I, I think that that would be a really big step towards tyranny. Yeah, I'd be really worried, though, that the the Republican Party at this point, the loyal Republican Party, the the Trump, people who are in Trump's camp are in a cult and or or at least have a cult like mindset, and I just don't know that anything really can dislodge that. Back check, back check, back check. Funny you guys should mention that because at 8.46 a.m. on July 30th, 2020, at Real Donald Trump tweeted, With universal mail voting, not absentee voting, which is good, 2020 will be the most, all in caps, inaccurate and fraudulent election in history. It will be a great embarrassment to the USA. Delay the election until people can properly, securely, and safely vote? Question mark, question mark, question mark. So... 244.9 thousand people gave that a little heart, so I guess that's, that's pretty bad. As to whether Republicans would stand up to the president or not, it's a mixed bag. There are a lot of Republicans who are 
firmly in the president's pocket, but some surprising names came up. Marco Rubio, Republican from Florida, said he can suggest whatever he wants. The law is what it is. We're going to have an election that's legitimate. It's going to be credible. It's going to be the same as we've always done it. I wish he hadn't said that, but it's not going to change. We're going to have an election in November, and people should have confidence in it. Chuck Grassley, Republican from Iowa, said, It doesn't matter what one individual in this country says. We still are a country based on the rule of law, and we must follow the law until either the Constitution is changed or that law is changed. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, said, No way should we ever not hold an election on the day that we have it. Which, you know, is is badly phrased, but I understand what he was trying to say. And lastly, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky, said this. Yeah, he didn't he didn't say anything. He's he's really the worst. He's very, very bad. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. I think mail in ballots is a pretty reasonable solution to this there there have been challenges to mail-in ballots uh saying that like you know deceased people are voting um there are certain states where it's allowed that you would send in a family member's vote like if you had an elderly family member and you received a ballot for them that you would send in their vote um i think we're on like kind of shaky territory there because then, you know, maybe that person had no intention to vote. Or maybe that person, uh, you didn't accurately represent the vote that they wanted to make. Right. And I think from an individual standpoint, that's an important piece of information. And when I'm talking to Republicans about this or conservatives about this on Facebook, you end up getting these individual stories from sort of sketchy, <laughs> sketchy sources of entire ballot boxes like just getting lost like 20,000 votes from this state being lost and so I think it's something worth looking into but I don't know that it's anything that would affect an election in terms of the numbers it's it's a human system and human systems are fallible I think you're talking about like if you're if you're choosing between allowing a mail-in ballot or not allowing a mail-in ballot and having everything done in person I think you're going to see you're going to see flaws in both cases in in the way that votes are counted. I have a lot of faith in our democracy, but do I think that, you know, every single vote gets counted perfectly every time with 100% accuracy? I don't think that happens. Honestly, at this point, I think a lot of voting could very easily be made digital and I think that it would still be fairly secure. I, th- I mean, depending on you, know, you have to have the 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 smartest people set set up all that security. But I would imagine that it shouldn't be too tall of an order to basically match the voting registration up with, say, IRS. Can, can, you know, tax can I level with you? Forms. Can, 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 can sure. I be completely serious right now. Nothing on the internet is secure. Yeah, I kind of feel that same way. There there would be absolutely no guarantee. There would always be a question in the back of your head. If we did digital voting, um, could someone have found a way to tamper the results? 
I'm always a big fan of having a paper trail. I even I think there are ways I think there are ways that we can make things smarter and faster and more secure and have a paper trail all at the same time. Right. And I don't think it's impossible that we could ever have uh, digital voting, but I would want it to be backed up in some way that we could like, you know, take a digital vote the day of and then still make sure that we have all of the paperwork intact so we could we could make sure that everybody got the vote that they wanted. Yeah, like uh, at the end of it, you print you print it off, some some and mail it in as a backup or something, something like that to verify that um, you know the vote that you put in was for you know a live person who was registered and able to vote, and that yeah. it was also uh, counted as the vote that you intended to put in. I'm not saying. I mean, I definitely am all about extra verification and, and stuff. I, I, and I freely admit that I am not really a super tech savvy person. I, I have a, I'd call it like a C plus understanding of technology, um, but <laughs> that's pretty good. I, 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 I like a little bit better than like average person, but not remarkable in any way, shape, or form. There is um, absolutely nothing that is. Like bulletproof cannot be uh, hacked into that right. exists on the and internet. It, not right. I think not, that's understood. Not banks, not uh, you know, government websites, not the Pentagon. Nothing. I think that's generally understood. Well, I think what you're doing is if you switch it all digital, you are immediately creating a target for other countries to come in and attempt to hack those results. And we right. know Russia would do it if that were available to them. And I have no doubt that, like, if there's no downside for them, China might get involved or any a number of other superpowers. What I would say, though, is by opening up a digital option and making it so convenient to vote, I think you can get a lot more engagement. You've already got – people can can look up whatever they need to look up at, at you know, at their fingertips um, for the most part. Uh <laughs> And I think, therefore, if you can make it easy for people to to find out what they need to find out and cast their vote all in one place, you're going to get a lot more participation. Yeah. And that's ultimately the goal, right? Hey, kids, it's me, Chance the Rapper, the President, telling you to vo- yeet your vote into uh, the national <laughs> system this November. Dab. <laughs> Damn. Um, but we're not talking about election reform today anyway. So, so let me um, – wait, if I can, uh, I would like to be the one to uh, switch a little bit. I think – I absolutely understand the need to get the economy rolling again, but it needs to be done in smart, innovative ways. And my problem with the way it's being done now is the idea is let's just go back to the way it was before. There's there's nothing innovative with the way that this is being implemented. That's not entirely true. From a state level, when these states are reopening certain industries, they are actually giving fairly detailed guidelines. The, the issue is the people don't give a So what are the consequences for not following those guidelines? Because of those, if you well, if you release a set of guidelines and it's not followed... What is the next thing that happens? Because if there's not not a next thing, 
which is all uncomfortable for us to talk about because no one wants to be like, you need to do this, otherwise you're going to jail or you're getting a fine or whatever it is. What is the next thing that happens? Otherwise, it's nothing. Well, I think therein lies the tyranny. Yeah, does, does the government have the authority to, to do that? Can you force me to stay home? Yes. Yes, I can. I mean, it depends on the state, right? There, like, cause there's no national order well, right now. Each state has its own individual laws, and I can tell you, most states, yes, they have the right to do it. And if we're opening back up, and we want to go ahead, the state definitely has the uh, right to look out for the well-being and health of its citizens. And so the question is, if you're opening back up, and people aren't following your guidelines, how are you doing that? Because either you're either you're doing it, or it's nothing. There's a push and pull because you also can't deny someone life, liberty, or pursuit of happiness without due process. I I understand the need for a there is a public hazard, there is a public health concern that sort of supersedes normal rules. Um, but at the same time, like right. you can't mess with people's liberty without damn good reason. And the question is, you know, is this virus damn good reason? Right. My damn good reason is somewhere in between a 3 and 7% fatality rate. Done. I'm good. Got it. And But here's... So there's three things I wanted to talk about. The first one was opening the economy in an innovative way. The second was I understand and care about people's liberties. And I think there are some huge things that we're going to need to both watch out for now and recorrect for in the future because this is the way tyrannical governments are born. It is incredibly easy to go ahead and impose things now that will become nightmares for a society later. I absolutely understand that. And, I'm so and glad you said that. Like, I, I agree yes. with that 100%. I, yeah. So I am not on board with that at all, but we have a bunch of stupid people <laughs> And generally, the way you deal with stupid people has to do with limiting their access to certain things. Yeah. Um, I, wait, let me say one <laughs> other thing because it relates to this. My last thing is I would not have a beef with these people if they were only taking their own lives in, like putting their own lives in danger. That's not what's happening. When they go out, when they do these things, they put my life, they put my family's life... They put your guys' families' lives in danger as well, and that is where my beef comes in. It's not just them making yeah, decisions on their by own. By protesting, specifically? Go, going out, making dumb decisions, not wearing masks, okay. not getting six feet away from their their fellow people, not following yeah, whether the it's guidelines. Protesting with your AR-15 at the state capitol, or if it's going out to do shots with your boys at after uh, after work without a mask on. So especially for the people who think they're healthy, who are healthy. In fact, the people who are typically a healthy person, you are those are those people are the most likely to be asymptomatic but still contagious. And if they catch it, if they are if they if the virus gets in and on them, they are the most likely to transmit it without ever knowing. And so it's super short-sighted, it's super selfish, 
And it's also just generally not understanding the situation that people think it's okay. Because you brought up this this comment of like, well, it's if it was just their life. And, and I think that that actually, I've heard a lot of people say that. Well, it's my body. I'm going to, you know, if I get sick, fine. I'll deal with the consequences. Well, aren't, like, you, aren't you over-dramatizing this a little bit, though? Because... Nah. It's a pretty high um, contagion rate. Yeah. Not to no, mention fatality yeah. rate. So the one thing I did want to bring up is, have we seen the signs at these protests of people saying, my body, my choice, and how <laughs> hilarious yeah, yeah. that is? Yeah. God. It's so funny. Hey, we should do an episode on abortion. Hey, Ooh. let's do it. But not right now. So, yeah, I have seen them, and it is kind of funny, though. Well, okay, so aren't, aren't you over-dramatizing this a little bit? Because a lot of those people who are going to be asymptomatic, who are going to experience very mild symptoms, might not have any access at all, might not really be interacting with vulnerable populations. It doesn't matter, because they can still spread it to other asymptomatic people who might interact with those vulnerable populations. You don't f***ing go well, out. Let's be clear, there's not invulnerable and vulnerable populations. There's more vulnerable and less vulnerable. Well, on the other anybody thing, can catch it. Right. Anybody can catch this. Right. And, and still, anybody can die from it. So there is no such thing as an invulnerable population. And we're starting to we're still learning new things about this all the time. For example, the president and a ton of Republicans are all on board like let's get kids back to school. They are invulnerable <laughs> like they, he didn't say invulnerable, but basically saying that like kids have very little chance of getting this or having any ill effects. And all of a sudden, coming down the road this last week, we see a um, a disease having to do with the bronchial system with these kids that comes from coronavirus. Children are uh, are catching this way faster than they did in the past, and they are dying of this stuff. And it's just a new it's a new symptom. One of the things that makes me very so. Just to kind of try to, because I, I know that I'm arguing both sides of the fence here a little bit today. And, and in general, like, my eye is on science. I, um, when it is scientific, when it is medically, I guess, or scientifically safe to, to, be, to really start to re-expand the economy significantly, then I'm about it. Otherwise, I'm in the camp of um, err on the side of caution. And one of the reasons... For that is because we don't. This is a brand new virus. We don't know much about it at all. It's been right. available for study for like four months, five uh, five months, maybe six. I don't know what time, what day it is, but it's only it's it's a matter of months that this has been known about and able to even be studied. So to to think that we know what to expect is foolhardy, in my opinion. Right. You know what I'd be for? I would be for the CDC making the rules as to when we go back, like how the how the economy is, like, or at least when mm -hmm. the economy restarts. If this stuff is done with science in mind, then I think that is a reasonable way to move forward. Yeah. Now, it's a little out of character for you to... to 
to advocate for less federal regulation, which I I am all I'm very excited about. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm jumping. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm again. I'm all about being pragmatic about this stuff. There's a there's a big breakthrough. Yeah. Well, but and, and that's that's the I think the appropriate approach. I I don't think I think the national government, the federal government's approach right now should just be let's find ways to produce or purchase whatever supplies and get them where they're needed and just try to focus on facilitating the logistics um, and allow local governments uh, to, to handle the, the level of opening and closing of, the, of, of industry. So something that's going on in uh, Hong Kong right now um, there are pro-democracy um, lawmakers that have been uh, kicked out of their session chambers. And part of that is, you know, they were making a, a quote-unquote ruckus by, um, you know, protesting the proceedings of a pro-Beijing uh, uh, government taking power. Um but I think that there is a legitimate fear that, um, you know, not being able to protest because of coronavirus um, or, you know, all of these different ways that we're being interfered with in our ability to vote during coronavirus. I'm scared shitless that, you know, we would emerge from this thing with without our democracy intact um looking looking back at the the u.s sure would would a more localized response help quell that concern if it were mostly left up to local governments about how how and when to reopen um to a certain degree, I, I would like a clear road path going forward of how voting is going to look in the future. Um, that's one of my number one concerns. Well, I mean, I think maybe this might be the time to bring up there are some real genuine concerns about that here. Like Mitch McConnell just got a bill passed that will allow the FBI access to our browser history without a search warrant right and they and they passed that during a time when you know it's really unhealthy for you to go and protest something like that like having a large gathering of people is not really something that you can do and i i think that it's really kind of cynical that this is the time that they uh chose to go forward with legislation like that well it's mitch mcconnell yeah. i mean that's sort of his bag Fishman's, but the the problem is, uh-huh. um, and I don't have the list in front of me. I can try and look it up and put a fact check here. Democrats voted for that bill too. It wasn't all Republicans. Mini fact check. So it seems like this bill was not as simple as it seems on its face. Uh, there was a vote against requiring warrants, but it was to maintain the status quo, not to create a new access requirement. The authority is nothing new. It's been allowed for 20 years in foreign intelligence investigations, 
and is also allowed in basic criminal investigations all without a warrant. The vote only applies to Americans, quote, relevant to counterterrorism and counterintelligence investigations. And though a warrant isn't needed, investigators must still get a court to sign off on the internet data access. It seems that I jumped at the headline without getting more details, so I'm going to go ahead and give everybody who voted for this a pass. I'm not saying it's a good bill. I am really not saying it's a good bill. What I am saying is that it's a continuation of the badness we've already been experiencing for the last 20 years, so yay? Mini fact check. But also there's... uh... They do that by by attaching riders and, and other things to the bill. So I'm I'm curious as to what else was on that bill. But uh, not super curious, the, I guess, because mostly it's just depressing. The erosion of people's privacy, of people's you know rights to their own data, has been constant, and it has been bipartisan over the last God, like the last at twenty years at least. Yeah, no, I'd say thirty or forty for that matter. I mean, since the yeah. since the mid eighties, but it has become a different kind of argument since people have personal computing devices that can access the internet. The internet sure. has made yeah. this a whole different argument. The government has very much not figured out how to define, you know, uh, personal property, personal intellectual property. Right. Things like browser histories and whatnot. So it's it's basically been almost untouched by the government in like thirty years. Well, also in the NSA under George Bush Jr., you know, we've seen this radical expansion of power with very very little government oversight. Um, mm-hmm. There was a committee of I think like four people in Congress that even knew about the data that the NSA was collecting, let alone the American people. Um, So this idea of things being top secret and that we need to, you know, keep national secrets away from foreign powers and stuff is being used as a guise to kind of let the government just do whatever they want with with no oversight ever. Which actually, I think, is a really nice segue to why I am, why I think the concern about these measures taken by the government should be concerning. Even though these types of measures, I think, have helped um, shutting down, at least shutting down like the the restaurant industries and um, minimizing contact with people and things like that. These these measures, I think, they have helped with the crisis, but. What makes me very concerned is we know very well how easy it is for a government to drum up a bunch of fear about something and then impose draconian measures as a response. And one of the the coronavirus is very real. We know it is. It's probably I think it's affected some of us already. We know people who've died from it. Lots of celebrities have died from it. Um, Total hoax, fake news. Right. Like, we know that this is real, but one of these 
days, I think, and this is a slippery slope argument, so it definitely should be taken with a grain of salt, but one of these days it might not be. One of these days it might be just manufactured fear that the government creates in order to impose draconian measures for some other sort of political gain, and that's where democracy gets stripped away from you. We have to be aware of that. Yeah, according to a, an interview with Eric Trump yesterday, this is all just a <laughs> hoax, and you'll see the coronavirus disappear right after the November election is over because the Democrats are just using it as a way to hurt his father. Right. I mean, Eric is the dumbest one of them, but still. We, <laughs> I mean, we live in such an absurd time. So I don't I don't appreciate like his particular characterization of that, but I do appreciate the concern that a transition of power is going to come about from emergent situations yeah i think that's reasonable so anyway all right so let's talk a little bit about some of the solutions so should we go over some of the measures that have been taken to reboot the economy obviously we've talked about some of like reopening of retail and restaurants and stuff like that there's a stimulus i got a stimulus check finally oh you finally got it yeah it took forever have you guys had yours for weeks now yeah, I got it right right away. Oh, yeah. no, I, I only just last week got mine. Yeah, oh. well, but you had said, so I think Andy and I both got ours direct deposit, and you didn't have that. I had to get mine in the mail, yeah. Right. Did it have Did it have Trump's signature on it? Um, you know, I haven't looked. If you guys discuss for a minute, I can actually take yeah. a look. <laughs> that, his his um, like super sure. pointy signature with all the peaks and valleys, I love it. Well, yeah. so in any case, it wouldn't be a handwritten; it would be stamped, right? And it's in I mean, it's yeah. in the memo line. No, unless yeah. he's been Donald very Trump. busy. <laughs> Donald Trump did not sign millions of checks. No. <laughs> um. So, so there's been a stimulus. There's also been the unemployment benefits, the extra six hundred dollars per week from unemployment for people who are out of work. Although that's been super issue uh, issue laden because if you are offered work if and turn it down you don't get to receive unemployment benefits in most states which so is, which is fun that people are literally making more money off six hundred dollars a week unemployment than they were at their actual job so it it, yep. it does it? have uh donald j trump written on it but it doesn't have his name on the it's signature not, line not his signature oh yeah it's got how about someone that? else's signature i think like a treasurer or somebody sure mm. well so um yeah but it, there have also been oh. it does it does it does tickle my funny bone that he insisted that his name be on all of the checks though well but the fun thing is that also delayed people's checks from going out people who like needed that money to pay for rent and groceries and stuff because of Oof. this, like, this, like, little jerk-off motion that Donald Trump wanted to get his name on there. Like, those people had to wait days longer. Weeks. Yeah, but the thing is, like, that's going to hit different people's ears in in the ways that they want to hear it. So people who are spitting an argument about that, you know, the, the checks were delayed and didn't get to people who needed them quickly because he wanted his name on it. Okay, but other people are are going to be less concerned about that and and more concerned about the political impact for him to be able to get his name on it. Yeah, 
No, they're both <laughs> Like, I, I think that that's going to be received... That's going to be received different ways. Hmm. So... So at any rate, there's also been a big stimulus to businesses, which when they rolled it out a few weeks ago, it flopped really hard. A ton of money went to businesses it wasn't supposed to go to. Um, The oil industry got billions, hundreds of billions, I think. Billions. And then, then the government, Trump, had to ask them to give it back, which was hilarious. Yeah, that was a total disaster. Well, and they um, also, we talked it, about this already, but they gave, yeah. instead of giving the money out or finding a way to do it, an innovative way to get this money to the pe- people that needed it and the businesses that needed it, they gave it to banks who then took over $10 billion in fees out of the money that they loaned to other people and it wasn't even their money. Yeah, and listen, this is getting at a side a tangent that we really can't get into but I would love to at a separate time but uh, since the crashes and the rebuilding in the in the 21st century the whole I guess just financial institutions in the 21st century is a whole giant pile of what the fuck. so that's a Let's have that conversation another time. <laughs> look, you, look forward to the giant pile of what the fuck episode of Beat It Source. <laughs> you have a you have a tremendous responsibility when you are putting out like a stimulus like this. You have a tremendous responsibility to make sure that it gets to where it was meant to go. Right, because you can't it's, pat, it's you pat can't pass money off. and it's my money and it's your money. You can't pass off that responsibility to someone else and say, oh, well, they did a horrible job about it. Like, you gave up that responsibility. Like, you abdicated your responsibility there. This is the battle cry of the Trump White House. The quote out there of him like, no, I don't take any responsibility. Like, I keep on thinking about that buck stops here slogan. And like, the buck... Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, like... The buck doesn't stop anywhere near the um, Trump administration. There's a tweet that I really liked about how if Trump wins re-election, is he going to blame the first <laughs> Trump White House on things that happened yeah. in the second term? <laughs> that's Yeah, I think that's Conan O'Brien. Yeah. Responsibility with bailouts is a tricky issue. And as, <laughs> I actually would generally say I don't actually care too much about the well, I do care about the responsibility, who's responsible for the, where that money goes, but I also, in general, don't believe in bailouts in the first place. Uh, this instance being an exception, coronavirus and the subsequent economic um, contraction was sort of voluntarily imposed by by the governments, by the by the state governments at least. And because of a a viral threat, not because a market crashed. Um, right. So, and I think there's a different, there's a huge difference for me between bailing out a business and bailing out individuals. I don't, I don't have a problem well, with giving the American people some of their money back, so that way they can pay their rent and eat. Totally agree. Um, I do think, I think certainly I'm also, I feel the same way about um, about small businesses. And of course, defining the term small, medium, and large business is a little bit fuzzy. But small businesses, I, I agree with also, I think they are, 
small businesses, I think, also deserve that same kind of um, support in a, in a case like this, especially ones that have had to close because of the pandemic. Medium businesses, debatably, I think they're worth it because that is a huge sect- sector of employment in the country. I don't think I think large businesses that have a a, a profit margin a, a, a annual profit over a certain threshold I don't think they really deserve any help because they have been irresponsible with their gross earnings they should have been reinvesting in the company and and making smarter business moves and instead they paid dividends to their shareholders or whatever it is they did there you know paid big big bonus checks to the CEOs tough you made a bad choice and now you are going under. But people have been running a normal, ethical, reasonable business and are now upended because of this. I fully support payroll ta- payroll subsidies or um, you know rent subsidies. Basically, what I would say is I think they should be allowed to furlough their employees indefinitely so their employees can receive unemployment and the businesses can get subsidized for expenses that they have to keep paying through this shutdown because of this shutdown, you know, when they're not making money, for instance, rent and utilities. And just sort of basically hit the pause button. Giving the money to the banks was supposed to be, it was supposed to be innovative. It just backfired very badly. But um, it was innovative. It was a what they thought at the time was going to be a clever way to get the money out. But the problem is that the Democrats were trying to hold up the bill so that they could make sure to work in some oversight. And the Republicans started going, oh, the Democrats don't want to pass the bill. They won't pass the, send the money right, out. So it, it was, and so the bill passed. It was politicized uh, to try and make them, to try and make the Democrats look bad. I, I remember, and I've mentioned this on another episode, um, Mitch McConnell saying, uh, just pass the damn bill, <laughs> right? On the House floor, um, there's there's a really great clip of his speech about it, and just like, ah, uh, so so slimy. I just feel icky after yeah. watching yeah. that guy talk. He's he's a bad guy. Mini fact check. It turns out it was Lindsey Graham. Pass the damn bill. Stop negotiating. Enough is enough. This has been going on for two days. Like everybody else in the country, I have lost my patience with the political process. We're being nickeled and dimed now. The big stuff we've got pretty well right. And if it's not perfect, we can fix it later. But we need to vote tonight. And the reason I'm on the floor is because I've been called by two Democratic colleagues in the last five or six hours wanting more money. The store is closed. Mr. President, in negotiations, require us to vote. Draft the bill. Do it tonight. Mini fact check. He is so bad. I usually hate, he... I hate being so partisan, but in this particular case, like, uh, I mean, the proof is in the pudding of, you know, the bailouts not going where they were supposed to go. It's, yeah. Well, but here's the thing. Every time something like this happens, I'm we're going to have to have an episode about why Republicans are shitty. That's like, I'll, I'll go ahead and spearhead that episode. 
Um, but every time Only if we get like to do happens, a Democrats or shitty episode, too. I, I'm, yeah, I'm more than happy. Bring, bring it on. Uh, I think Democrats are, be hard. Democrats are shitty because they're ineffective. Republicans are shitty because they're evil. So hmm. we'll go can, ahead and do I that. I see where you're coming from for that. Yeah. But I don't but, agree with but, it. But, but that's that's a different thing. Yeah. But what happens every time one of these things happens is they push a bad faith, a faith effort forward. And then you try like no one comes back and calls them on it later. Or they always come up with the next thing where we can't talk about that thing that we did really before because now we have this new crisis to deal with. And so I like I'm tempted to just be like, all right, let's try it your way for uh, like a year or so. And then we'll come back. And if it worked, then great. We'll go ahead and do more of that. And if it didn't work, we'll go ahead and try UBI or any number of the progressive like movements that we want to push forward. But at that point, you're talking about people who still use the framework of uh, trickle down economics and uh, job creators like don't. Don't get rid of all of your job creators in the country. Yeah, no. This is why when we were having our private island episode, I was like, take, have my billionaires. You can have them because they're not job creators. The job creators are the people who are creating those small businesses. Those those people that are making maybe two or three times what their workers are making, not 200 or 2,000 times what their workers are making. Yeah, you're definitely... Right. The the large businesses like the Walmarts and those sorts of things, they they love to um, proclaim themselves as job creators and they do create jobs. But what ends up happening is they are competing with each other instead of competing with the market at large. And so they can turn those jobs into shit, um, right. not pay people well, break up unions because they essentially become in an area, they become close to the only option for people. And so, you know, I think what we've seen is we've exposed huge problems with workplace safety um, and well, I shouldn't say huge problems with that. Those problems only exist because of the virus, but an inability to follow those guidelines. But we've also seen a huge problem with uh, the health system and healthcare being, or health insurance being tied to employment. We've also seen, you know, we've seen this time and time again in history where, you know, even just back to like 9-11, when that happened in 2001, um, tons and tons of small and middle size businesses go under and all those people are desperate for work and end up basically signing on with the devil uh you know your big box stores and other things so the problem with your big box stores your i mean walmart is the number one uh receiver in the country of welfare they aren't a net positive on the job market they are a net drain because they do not pay people enough to be able to support themselves and those people are then forced to uh rely on programs that are paid for by the people that are using them they're they're paid for by the working poor and it sucks it sucks like the 
these uh, I was going to mention it earlier, but a local grocery store chain uh, here that I read about named uh, Kroger. I mean, here in terms of Ohio, not Cleveland. We don't have any Krogers here, but they had this uh, $2 hero bonus that they're taking away from their employees now. As far as I know, coronavirus isn't over. The epidemic isn't over. They're not any less essential workers, but they're going to be coming in for $2 less. Uh, Amazon is doing the same thing. They're, uh, they now have, last I read, nine people have died of the coronavirus. They're refusing to release any information about uh, how infected their workforce is or anything like that. And they're now taking away the additional money they've been paying people to come in and take care of this. So I am glad that I had chosen. <laughs> I haven't shopped at uh, Amazon at all. Uh, and I have canceled my uh, Prime subscription. Yeah. It's just it's rough. I think those I don't see those low paying jobs as jobs because it's something to do. But the amount of money you make while going to that job is not enough to support your family. It's like you've you've clung on to something that instead of sinking really quickly into uh, into quicksand, you're now sinking less quickly into quicksand, but it still sucks. Uh, but if we could, if we go ahead and loop back to what we uh, presumably were talking about in this episode, yeah. I really have trouble. So I think I had said it in last week's episode. I hate these protesters. I have trouble understanding their point. And I don't know if either of you, like I had looked around, it is hard to find because I know Facebook has blocked these groups from being able to uh, advertise on Facebook. I know a lot of different places have said, you, you, you are welcome to get together if you want, but you're not going to do it on my service. And I have not been able to find anything. I've been looking for one of their official websites, so I go to their info section and be like, "Here's what we, th- here's what we believe." Is this something that you guys have? Like, <laughs> do you know anything about this? I mean, I understand like wanting to hold on to personal liberties. I want, I understand wanting to feed your family. I don't understand how that involves taking a gun yeah. into your state's capital. Well, so I think. If you're talking about why are they protesting, I would love to have that discussion. If you want to talk about why are they taking a gun with them to protest at the state capitol, my only answer for that is to be as intimidating as they can. That's Yeah, that's Michigan, and that is a particular case. Um, I can pull up that story real quick. I don't know a lot of details about... uh, you know, why the Michigan protesters were protesting. I mean, my guess is that particular thing probably has more to do with the people protesting than the movement that they're trying to support. Very much so. So uh, can we let's just go ahead and say that's ridiculous and melodramatic of them. And they're just trying to be as scary as they can be and and start to talk more about why people are protesting or even just generally why people might be against or concerned about at least these uh, government measures. Right. If you want to be as scary as can be, you really need to wear a werewolf mask. That gets me every time. (laughs) So for me, I would say that I can sympathize with the expressed concerns of of people about what's 
the measures taken by the governments. Um, I don't share them, but I can sympathize with them. Or I shouldn't even say I don't share them. I do share them. I just don't. Um, for me, the balancing point, uh, I've seen this go around a few times on Facebook and things, um, kind of a three-circle Venn diagram of um, people who are concerned about the coronavirus, people who are concerned about the effects right. of keeping the economy shut down too long, and people and who are concerned about governments acquiring too much power. Um, and I can live in all three. I, Yeah, I and, and I very much am, um, but... I would say, if anything, within that center section, I am more on the concerned about coronavirus edge of that center section. Um, I know that we are going to have to reckon with the economy, but the time to do so, and the chairman of the Fed said this the other day, um, you know, it's not like I'm making this up. I have it, yeah. Um, but the chairman of the Fed, Jerome Powell, has himself said um, <laughs> that... Crap, what did he say? You know, I'm I, for many years, I've been... Before the Fed, I have long time been an advocate for well, the need for the United States to return to a sustainable path uh, from a fiscal perspective at the federal level. We have not been on such a path for some time, which means just means that the that the, the debt is growing faster than the economy. Um, this is not the time to act on those concerns. This is the time to use the great fiscal power of the United States to to do what we can to support the economy and try to get through this with as little damage to the longer run productive capacity of the economy as possible. The time will come again, and reasonably soon, I think, where we can where we can. Uh, think about a long-term way to get our fiscal house in order, and we absolutely need to do that. But this is not the time to be, uh, in my personal view, this is not the time to to let that concern, which is a very serious concern, but to let that uh, get in the way of us winning this battle, really. Uh, that that the coronavirus is more important than the economy yeah, right now? Yeah, well... Um, and, and he even used this analogy, which I think is really, really good. So um, if you see it, uh, uh, someone is not breathing, someone's dying, and they need CPR, they need the, to have their heart restarted, they need air in their lungs. And you have to, in order to administer CPR properly, you pretty much have to break a bunch of their ribs. Like, you have to fuck up their rib cage in order to save their life. And you know what? If you save their life, if you get their heart started and get some air flowing in their lungs again, we can reset their rib cage, and they can go on living pretty much normally after that. But if you are not willing to break those ribs, right? You got to break an egg to make an omelet. If you're not willing to break those ribs, you're not going to be able to save that person's life at all. Right, and and I really like that, but that's also kind of cynical coming from. What's essentially a loan shark? <laughs> the f- the f- the Fed the Fed is a private corporation that has no affiliation with the U.S. Well, government. that's not true. They definitely don't have no affiliation. the f- The federal government appoints seven of the twelve members of the board of directors. Right. They they have no oversight over what the Fed does. 
The Fed operates independently. The Fed is privately owned, but Congress does have some oversight. It's very complicated. I see it I see it essentially as a separate entity saying like go ahead and spend and we'll loan you this money don't worry we're going to collect the bill later. <laughs> well, interest rates are basically zero right now and actually negative. Um so from the Fed. So uh it's a good time to they're trying to make it as easy as possible. They're trying to inject more get more money into the So they they've dropped those the Fed has dropped their the deficit uh not deficit the um well interest rate well yeah the it, it has a specific name but it doesn't matter yeah the Fed has dropped their interest rate um like unprecedentedly low um and they've done a bunch of other stuff that they can do to help boost the economy but the Fed can only implement monetary policy they cannot do any sort of um, spending right. like putting out relief, giving relief uh, relief checks to people. They can't do any sort of well, tax cuts. They can't affect any of that. All fiscal policy is controlled through the government. So the two of them have to work together. Well, and this is Robert Reich had a thing about how you bail out people, you don't bail out business because businesses right now can go and borrow money at an incredibly low rate. Like uh, virtually nothing it costs them to borrow that money right now and then go ahead and borrow it against the capital that they built up on the backs of the working people. Congratulations. You have to solve. In theory, the problem here is that our delightfully corrupt government has prevented those businesses from being able to actually access that money. But in theory, yeah, that's absolutely right. And it almost functions like a bailout. I mean, but it's not. Which is good because bailouts are bad. The fact that we bailed out the the financial institutions in 2008 uh, is the reason why they have continued to be so poorly regulated ever since. Is because they just got away with it. I mean, I do have to say, I really, I, I appreciate his point though. Like now is the time when, <laughs> like. So there's a line from the the West Wing that I love. Um, when your neighbor's house is on fire, you don't haggle over the price of the garden hose. <laughs> the The idea is like if you, we're in an emergency right now, you, we need to go ahead and now is the time where it makes sense for us to build up some debt to make sure people are taken care of and we can go ahead and pay it off later. But now, like now, is the time. Like this is the emergency. Yeah. Go ahead and use emergency clauses now so that way people can take care of themselves and then we figure out a way to, to fix it later. But and Pat's not wrong to be uh wary of the Fed for sure. I also I, I'm not a huge fan of the Fed. I'm not a huge fan of centralized banking and stuff like that. They're definitely a sketchy institution. Blah blah blah. Um Your your mom's a sketchy institution. Um, hey speaking of your mom uh she's delightful i'm sure but uh why don't we go ahead and wrap up our final thoughts on this because we're coming we got to come in for a landing here pretty soon i i was gonna say um that there's the all right so here all right i i i alluded to this in our kind of pre-episode chatter um my thinking about 
where I think what we should be doing is I think there's a a huge missed opportunity to help reshape the economy for the future right now. Um, the the depression that we are in, and it is a depression right now. I'm certainly depressed. Unemployment is unemployment is flirting with twenty percent. Um, in the Great Depression, it was at twenty five. It usually runs around four to six percent. Uh, and it's almost at 20% now. It, it, this is a depression. Um, not, not that that's the only way to measure it, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, um, is I think investing in uh, certain infrastructure. So things like delivery services and even contact-free delivery services, drone delivery. I know, Pat, that's sort of cutting into your job. But um, I've been looking forward to the takeover by machines for a long time. I think, you know, it's a a huge time to invest in, in sort of changing what some of our national production looks like the, the industry um you know what do we produce as a country um is a lot of coal and oil which both of which need to um go away and we could take this opportunity to train people in new sectors new you know new energy we could take this opportunity to invest in um internet infrastructure so that Everyone can have access to internet wherever they are and simultaneously be creating jobs by, by you know, the need to, to actually do this stuff, this public works. So that helps put money in people's pockets. You can do it safely. Obviously, you got to take precautions. But also, I just think that there's a huge opportunity that's going to go completely missed for our government to set a lot of things to set up proper guardrails for the future, for the future of the economy. Right. No, I don't know if you knew this, but our, our number one export is actually freedom. <laughs> well, <laughs> That's because say, we don't have any left here. We just export it all. Right. You say the word missed. I say the word dodged. Like it's not going to be accidental that they let it go by. It's going to be intentional. They don't want to create regulations. They don't want to make things better for the American people. But so, I mean, I guess yeah. generally, generally, I'm talking about conservatives. But it's not. They don't hold a patent on it. Obviously, like if, if it were me, if it were my bill, the bill would have been right off out of the gates. Were for th- good for three months, right off right off the rip, and would have covered um, stimulus checks to to households. Um, it would have covered um, unemployment, and um, it would have covered also lots of of like vouchers and stuff for various career training opportunities that you could yep. do online. Um, it would have also I would have definitely kept money or or loan a bill like I don't know grease the wheels for loans and grants and stuff for small and medium businesses and I would have had very clear definition of what that means and who's able to get the money but um, for them to be able to get money in order to stay in business through this that would have been my focus um, 
and then otherwise, yeah, spending bills uh, on public works that that help take the job sector to the new generation. Cool. I'm good with all that. That's I my thoughts. Pat, you know, that hopefully I'll that'll get me a Nobel prize, what do you think? <laughs> there you go. No one's going to listen so, to so you. So in a very idea. <laughs> in in a very general way, I think I think it is a healthy sign of our democracy that people are you know allowed to go out and make protests like this. I don't necessarily think that those are the most well-informed people with the best reasoned arguments. Um, but I'm happy that they are able to get out and put their message out there for it to be, you know, evaluated by the public at large. What I am concerned about, I am very concerned about our ability to vote going forward. And I, I said this a couple of times during the episode. Um, I want to see what voting is going to look like in a post-coronavirus world, um, whether that's mailing whether that's doing stuff online or if we are still going and voting in person um, to ensure that we absolutely will be able to function as a democracy in the future, Mm -hmm. I think is vitally important. Um, I don't think that you can brush aside that and say like, oh, well, you know, we're in an emergency right now. Um, People are going to die if we open the polls. You've got to figure it out. Um, if you don't have a way for people to get their political views heard, um, then people are going to start shouting in less and less pleasant ways. So, uh, I think it's a real benefit to everyone if we're allowed to vote. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. Um, so I agree with what both of you have said, uh, in addition to what you said, these people are f***ing idiots. They need to wear masks. They need to stay Jeez. six feet away from each other. Uh. And they need to go the f*** home. Uh, but other than that, I no, I, I absolutely believe uh, in what you both said. I think it makes sense to, to provide training for these people. We need to make sure that, like, not just these people, everybody. We need to make sure to try and figure out now what do things look like on the other end of this. We need to make sure to preserve our liberties and all that stuff. And most importantly, I think we need to preserve our precious moments. Precious moments. I think maybe we should have brought on somebody who was a protester today. I'm, I'm not totally sure we did a totally fair version of all of their arguments. F***ing idiots! Can we... Our, our transition music for this episode into uh, precious moments, you should use the song Freedom Isn't Free. That's fine, except for it's copyrighted. Ah, bling it! Yeah, that's definitely copyrighted. I didn't, I didn't know you had so little uh, respect for personal property and uh, individual intellectual property rights. Well, I didn't so know it was copyrighted. Of course, it's copyrighted. I mean, I'll double check to see if they didn't. <laughs> uh, all right, so is it copywritten or copyrighted? I think it's copyrighted. I believe it's copyrighted. All right, uh, we have to finish up because we are rolling up on that two-hour uh, limit here. But well, I, yeah. my precious moment for the day is very, very simple, very quick. Okay, uh, Lou Bega uh, tweeted out that if we get through the coronavirus, he's going to release Mambo number 6. <laughs> and I'm very yes. excited about this. So 
That's amazing. Lou Bega, Mambo number six. If there's if there's no other reason why you stay in your homes and wear masks and stay six feet away from your friends, Mambo number six. That's excellent. There you go. Next. My precious moment this week is a wine heist like you've never seen before. Uh, so this guy, Gabriel Moreno, uh, in guy in Sacramento, um, he <laughs> so he pulls behind this uh, or rather in front of this tanker with his hazard lights on. And gets the tanker to pull off to the side of the highway. So the truck driver goes ahead and pulls over because he thinks maybe there's like something wrong with his truck that he can't see. When he pulls over, Moreno hops out of his car. He's only wearing his underwear. And the dash cam, this is all picked up on the dash cam of the truck. So the truck driver's like, "What? what's going on? Nah, I'm out of here. So he starts pulling back onto the freeway. And he's got another camera, I guess a rear view camera, a blind spot kind of thing, that catches Moreno running up alongside the truck as it's pulling back onto the highway and ducking underneath it out of view. So then a little bit later, the truck driver um, notices that his wine levels for he's hauling wine, gallons and gallons of wine, and he's losing it. Hundreds of gallons of wine is pouring out onto the freeway. This guy had climbed up in his underwear, climbed up underneath a truck while it was merging onto the highway so that he could drink wine directly from the tank. He opened up a valve and was just drinking wine <laughs> out of this truck. Well, that's truck. the only way to do it. Uh, <laughs> like, all right, so when, when I was in college, uh, we used to play this game called Slap the Bag. And the game was basically we'd have a bag of or a box of Franzia wine, but we'd take the bag out of the box, hold it up in the air, and like you slap the bag and then you chug as much as you can. That's the game. It's not really very complex, but it's it's not it, it shouldn't be. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's a game so much as it's called alcoholism. <laughs> well, whatever you whatever you want to call it, all right. Sure. But this guy this guy He's <laughs> playing slap the tanker slap. over here. <laughs> <laughs> Take slap the bag uh, to a Oh home my home. god. Just it's like if Indiana Jones was an alcoholic. <laughs> I just love I love the fact that he was in, just in his like tidy whitey underwear, underwear because what else could he have worn for that type of heist? There's no other thing that he could have worn. Nope. I want to know how So I'm amazed I'm amazed, I'm amazed he didn't went. die. <laughs> I'm amazed he didn't die for a couple of reasons. For the first, uh, hanging on to a tanker, you know, with only the strength of your own body, like, that is an incredible feat, first At off. highway speed. And second, and, at highway speeds. And second of all, doing that while you are drunk <laughs> and getting, getting like, significantly alcohol drunker, poisoning. Wildly drunker. Yeah. Getting alcohol poisoning levels of drunk is even more impressive. Like, so, this guy's my hero, really surprised man. this guy didn't nominate himself for a Darwin. I, like, I want to like write letters to him in prison <laughs> just to get to know him better. This oh guy. <laughs> anyway. Pat, you have anything for this week? Well, so um, my, my, pres my precious moment goes out to um, 
Aaron Hansen, we we reached out to try and get on the podcast. Oh, Game Grumps. Um, of Game Grumps. Um, and I did send a tweet out to him. Uh, I haven't heard back yet, but um, I'm a huge fan, and uh, it would be so amazing to get him on the podcast to talk about uh, should we spoil uh, oh, what we want to talk about? We, so, we put it out, out on Twitter. Yeah, Pat had this genius idea for an episode that I'm uh, fully on board with. <laughs> for, so full, if you've ever seen... Full disclosure, Aaron Hansen or not, we're going to do this episode. All of the um, all of the news stories that come out of Florida, uh, they have privacy protection laws, so they don't say, like, you know, the person's name. Um, they just say, like, Florida man. So it's led to this meme of um, all of these news stories being about this same legendary Florida man, like as if he was a superhero. superhero right. And uh, there is apparently a lot of crazy stuff that happens in Florida, like uh, involving gators and meth and bath salts and... I have a really feeling that the weird number of crazy stories... situations. <laughs> I have a feeling that the number of crazy stories that come out of there probably have to do with the amount of meth and bath salts that are there too <laughs> are you these might these these problems might be interrelated right. for sure um but he's from florida um so we we did reach out to him we haven't we haven't heard back yet but um i'm still hopeful um but a uh, huge fan of right. his work um his show is very funny uh, re- on a recent episode he got featured in one of the video games that they were playing so uh, Aaron and Danny, the two the two hosts, actually got implemented into a video game that they had played, and so then they came back and played it three years later, interacting with their own characters that they voiced in the game. Kind of cool and interesting. That's awesome. I'm just a huge fan. Um, we'll put a link so, to Game Grumps uh, channel yeah. on the doobly doo. I know about Florida Man. I don't know anything about any of the rest of what you just said. We may want to come up. Ah, uh, well, that's. That's fine. That's fine. We may need to come up with an alternate Floridian uh, to help us out with that episode. Just on the small <laughs> yeah. chance that Aaron doesn't get back to us. You know what else? You yeah, need it's to, possible. You know what else you need to come up with? He's a busy guy. You know what? Uh, catchphrase. Ah. Ah. Nice. Yeah. That was a good transition. Thanks. Uh, I hope we gave you guys something uh, interesting to think about this week. All right. Love you. Bye. Bye. So it, it it does have uh, Donald J. Trump written on it, but it doesn't have his name on the signature line.